Welcome everyone. You're listening to another episode of Coffee Talks with Mike. Hope you enjoy the book this week and we're going to get into it. Hello everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Coffee Talks with Mike. Thanks for listening. Hope you are having a wonderful day wherever you are. Um, This is my first podcast episode that I am delivering Uh, that I am sweating like I am working out in the sun. It's 92 degrees right now. It's not even the hottest part of the day. And because I have no AC, that means I live with the fan, but the fan was making too much noise, so I had to turn it off so we could record. So here we are. Just know that's how dedicated I am to doing this. But we'll see uh, how much I actually accomplish uh, by the end of this and how long it goes. But I was debating what I wanted to share with you guys today um, because I'm actually reading a couple books right now. Some I think that you'd enjoy, some that people probably wouldn't. Um, But I actually had the opportunity to preach again on Sunday, which was a really cool um, opportunity in particular because uh, last Sunday was my senior pastor's last day. Um, before he moves down south to Alabama. So this was the first Sunday um, that he wasn't in worship with us. So um, it was just a an interesting uh, situation for sure. Um, I don't think there was pressure to, you know, live up to his standard. Uh, I love him a lot, great mentor, great friend, but um, just recognizing that everyone was feeling a kind of um, absence, I think. And so Part of my sermon was utilizing, of course, a little bit of C.S. Lewis, a little bit of Chronicles of Narnia. So I thought, you know what, that actually might be a cool thing to share with you guys here. And I just, over the last year, have continued to come back to the silver chair. So a little background for Narnia, because I don't think I've done an episode on Narnia here yet. Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there are seven installments in the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, they've made, I think, four of them into movies at different times. So there were the original three BBC ones, and then they did a reboot with Disney or whoever did that. And that's the one that got really popularized um, with Liam Neeson doing Aslan, the lion's voice. So, uh, But that ended up getting canceled too. Netflix apparently has picked up Narnia and they've been working on this and then COVID happened. So... I have no idea when it's actually going to come out, but I'll be very interested to see with Narnia or with Netflix's financial backing if they will stay close to the story or if they will just kind of do their own thing, which would break my heart. So that's a little bit of logistics about Narnia. Narnia is uh, a fictional children's story, essentially, where there are children that find themselves in a magical new world known as Narnia. And there is apparently a talking lion that rules the world. And um, the lion is Aslan and Aslan is the God figure or the Christ figure actually more specifically. And so there are just different stories going on in each of these installments that are leading to uh, Narnia being under proper rule. And there's a lot of different things that go on. Now I'm kind of spoiling a little bit for you, but not really too much in that I'm in the silver chair, which is the second to last book chronologically. So Lewis did this thing where he wrote, you know, the first book 
All right, that's a lot of uh, nerd talk. Uh, but Narnia, amazing. And I truly don't think that I'm, you know, I don't want to overuse Lewis or Narnia or things like that in particular in church, while at the same time recognizing sometimes what Lewis is doing is so significant in the way that he utilizes imagery and imagination to um, help us swallow truth in a different way. So hopefully we can do that for you today. So I'll set the scene in chapter one. Uh, we've got two characters, Eustace, who was in one of the previous books as a side character, and Jill, who's never been in any of the books. So uh, in the earlier books, it's always been this one family, and they've been this super important family, and they're all related. And Eustace is their cousin, so even Eustace is related. But Jill is the first person that's not technically related. There's another character in another book that comes after this, but we're not going to go there today. Um, so there's a little bit of significance there, but Jill and Eustace are getting bullied at school. So um, Eustace talks about, he ends up just telling Jill about Narnia and about Aslan and tells her, all right, well, here's the thing. Like, you know, maybe if we could escape to Narnia somehow, uh, then we would be saved from these bullies at school. And so he says, you know, I don't exactly know how to get there, but maybe if we just say Aslan's name, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. So then Jill starts saying Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. Now, sure enough, they end up in Narnia. That came out, which is Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, the most popular one just because of movies and stuff. That's actually the second book in the timeline of the books that came out. So anyways, The Silver Chair is the second to last book. All this doesn't matter, except that it's not any of the main characters that you've seen before. One of them you kind of saw in one, in one book, but, but not anywhere that Eustace has ever been. And when they get there, uh, Eustace and Jill start bickering and uh, they're goofing off near a cliff and Jill accidentally makes him fall off the cliff, it seems. And now she thinks she killed her friend. It was crazy. And so as she turns around, she sees a giant lion and it seems like this lion had blown him away, like with his breath and blew him off the cliff, maybe. And so Jill's freaking out. And this is where uh, this is chapter two, where it picks up. And this is some significant imagery. Um, I just want to set the scene with this before I get to what I um, talked about in my sermon Sunday. Jill got up and looked around very carefully, but there was no sign of a lion. But there were so many trees around that it would be very easy for it to be close without her seeing it. For all she knew, there were several lions. But her thirst was very bad now, so she got the courage to go and look for running water. As she approached the stream, just on the other side laid the lion. It had its head raised and its two forepaws in front of it. She knew at once it had seen her for its eyes looked straight into hers for a moment and then turned away as if it knew her quite well and didn't really think much of her. She thought if I run away, it'll be after me in a moment. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. And she couldn't figure out what to do, basically. So then the lion speaks and says, if you're thirsty, you may drink. The first word she had heard since uh, Eustace had spoken to her on the edge of the cliff before he fell and for a second, he stared, or she stared there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, if you are thirsty, come and drink. And of course, she remembered what Eustace had said about animals talking in Narnia. 
and she realized that it was the lion speaking. So anyways, she had seen its lips moving this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper and wilder and stronger, and it was a sort of heavy golden voice. And the lion said, are you not thirsty? And Jill said, I'm dying of thirst. Lion said, then drink. Would you mind going away while I drink? And the lion uh, answered this only with a low growl. And so she said, all right, well, you promise not to do anything to me if I come drink. The lion said, I make no promise. And Jill was so thirsty now that she had come a step closer without even noticing. She said, do you eat girls? And the lion said, I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. It wasn't as if the lion was boasting or as if it were saying it was sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. And Jill said, I daren't come and drink. And the lion said, then you will die of thirst. She said, all right, well, I suppose I must go look for another stream then. And the lion said, there is no other stream. And so uh, Jill kneels down and takes a sip of this uh, water, and she feels like she's never had a sip of water so good or satisfying in her entire life. Now, this is a very popular scene in Narnia across all seven books, but especially in this one, obviously. But Silver Chair has so many beautiful moments. Um, but this imagery of someone that hasn't known Aslan has now encountered Aslan, but she apparently didn't know Aslan was the lion she was talking to. And she feels this immense danger because she recognizes the power that this lion has. And she also recognizes her need. Um, she's dying of thirst. Um, and she's not really sure what she can do next other than approach this lion that is now talking, which is a little bizarre, of course. But the imagery here of being thirsty and needing to drink, but the option of getting a drink somewhere, it only comes with an immense risk to yourself. And she's bargaining with this lion, trying to say, all right, well, like, can you turn away while I do it? Or could you like go down the stream a little bit so I can be in privacy? Or, okay, fine, can I go find another stream? And at every turn, it's turned out that there is no other option. The line is staying. This is the line stream. And there is no other stream. Now, obviously, this parallels, um, well, maybe not obviously, but parallels to me with the woman at the well and Jesus and um, her dipping her bucket or um, to get water from this well. And Jesus says, you know, if you drink of this water, you will be satisfied for a moment, but then you'll thirst again. But if you drink of my living water, you'll never thirst again. And it is this powerful imagery that all of us have physical needs in our lives, food, shelter, water, etc. Um, but Jesus constantly is talking in a more spiritualized sense. Not that Jesus doesn't talk about the practical too. Let's just put that out there. But Jesus is also saying, no, no, like, even as your physical needs exist there's another need that is also there and you are so thirsty and the reality is like everything in our lives is promising that it's going to give us the fulfillment or the thirst quenching properties um 
every ad for a movie is going to tell you it's going to be the best movie. You'll never need to see another one. Every um, commercial for a restaurant is telling you how great the food is. So it's just, you have to go. You'll never have food like it again until they come out with a new special. And every new album counts itself as the best, most revolutionary addition to music we've ever seen. And the list goes on and on and on. And the reality is, we do these things not be, it's not like they're wrong it's not wrong to go out to eat or to buy a new video game or go see a new movie or whatever and they satisfy for a moment but it's not nearly as satisfactory as we would hope and it doesn't last nearly as long as we'd think and uh, i heard it said once by my pastor here who said uh you know if we've drank the living water then why are we still so thirsty why, if Jesus said, we'll drink this living water and never thirst again, do we like follow Jesus and yet we are still so unsatisfied with all the things in our lives? And it's typically because we are, you know, misguiding our own desires. Like we're misunderstanding the meaning behind the things that we're doing. And so like Jill, we go, you know, before God in some dramatic sense where we say, we want to drink of the stream, but we want it on our terms, right? Can I drink of this stream, but also still hold on to this thing? It's like, well, no, like this is the stream. This takes priority. This takes precedence over all other things. And I don't think that that means like, you know, following Jesus means you throw out everything that there was before, but it does mean there's a willingness to throw things out. What I mean in that is there is... Um, a situation in life where there's all kinds of great things in our lives that can distract us from better things. Um, and I talked about this in another sermon a few weeks ago, but just this principle from the early church of first and second things that basically there, there is a hierarchy of significance in our lives. Hopefully like family and friends are more important than like your hobby of knitting or reading or whatever. Um, we naturally prioritize things in our lives every day. Sometimes we misprioritize, but it's important to prioritize properly. And so um, part of that journey is learning how to prioritize things properly so that we actually live the life we were meant to. And in the Christian tradition, God would be at the top of those priorities it's not that God won't bless us with other things or that God won't enable us to enjoy things more so even than we do now, but it does mean that we have to recognize God takes priority over X, Y, and Z in our lives. And so I think this imagery with um, Jill and Aslan at the stream and this desire to quench that thirst that is so real for her um, is a really powerful image because ultimately we're all thirsty every day. Like that's one of the most humbling things of being a creature of being a human is you need to eat and you need to drink and you're reminded of how needy you are all the time. Um, but in a spiritual sense, we have these needs every day and we're looking for meaning like who am I and are the things that I'm doing in my life meaningful? Like, or am I just wasting my days away? And God gives those things meaning in a powerful way. He, he doesn't waste any moment, but it does require us to go to the stream 
often at our own peril to submit ourselves before God in some sense and trust that God will do what God will do. So the scene goes on. Uh, so that was actually, I, I'm trying to remember where I would have brought this scene up. I think it might have even been in a sermon a few weeks ago, but um, nonetheless, uh, th that's the first half of this second chapter, which is called Jill is Given a Task. But the second half here is um, what I brought up in my sermon on Sunday, which I think is powerful imagery that will um, I'll leave you with for today. Try to wrap this up because I'm sweating. So Aslan and Jill start talking, and Jill thinks that Aslan has mistaken her for someone else because she's never met him. She says, I was wondering, I mean, could there be some mistake? Because nobody uh, called me, and Eustace, you know, uh, fell. So it was we who asked to come here. Eustace said we were to call to somebody. It was a name, and I wouldn't know the name. Perhaps it was somebody that was going to let us in. And we did. We found the door open. And Aslan says, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you. Then you are the somebody, sir? I am. And now hear your task. A pause. Again, this is a children's book that is meant to change and challenge all of our lives, not just six-year-olds. This imagery and this language, like we were calling out to somebody. She didn't know she was calling out to Aslan or, or God or Christ. She was just calling out uh, so that she could get in, and she got in. And Aslan corrects her and says, no, no, you could not have been calling out to me unless I had been calling to you. Now, this is imagery that we see throughout Scripture in a number of places. Um, an easy example would be that, you know, we love God because God first loved us, something to that effect. But often, the world around us is calling out to God without using the language of God. We don't even know the name that we're calling out. We're calling out, in Jill's words, to somebody or something. But everything we do in our lives is calling out to something for meaning, for satisfaction, for direction. And yet all of those things, all of that hunger, all of that thirst in us is actually God calling out to us, not punishing us like with thirst or with hunger, but rather calling out to us so that God alone will satisfy the things that we are hoping to find in all of the other places in the world. And often those of us that do believe in God don't even recognize that's truly what we're calling out for. When, when we're restless in our jobs, we're actually calling out for satisfaction in God, which may in fact yield a new job, but it also might yield satisfaction where you are. When we're calling out for a new relationship or a new hobby or a new friendship or a new fill in the blank. When we're, when we're looking for meaning and direction, we're actually calling out for a closeness and a peace and satisfaction with God. So uh, that, that's a, a longer string of thoughts we can unpack another day, but uh, that's the piece setting up this next piece. So uh, Aslan says, I am the somebody. Here is your task. Far from here in the land of Narnia, uh, there lives an aged king who is sad because his prince 
uh, has disappeared. Now, this turns out that they're not in Narnia right now. They're actually in Aslan's country, a separate part that's near Narnia, but not the same. So it uh, seems like some heavenly imagery in some sense, but uh, that's another day for another time. And he says, I lay on you this command that you seek the lost prince until either you found him and brought him back to his father's house or you died in the attempt or you've gone back to your own world. And Jill says, how? Like, how can I do this? And the lion says, these are the signs by which I will guide you in your quest. First, uh, as soon as Eustace sets foot in Narnia, he'll meet an old dear friend. Uh, he must greet that friend at once. If he does, you will both have great help. Second, you must journey out of Narnia to the north till you come to the ruined city of the ancient giants. Third, you will find writing on a stone in a ruined city, and you must do what the writing tells you. And fourth, you will know that the lost prince, uh, you will know it's the lost prince by this, that he will be the first person you've met in your travels who will ask you to do something in the name of Aslan. And Asla Aslan seemed to have finished. Um, she said, thank you very much, I see. And Aslan says, child, in a gentler voice than he had yet used, perhaps you do not quite see as well as you think. But the first step is to remember, repeat to me in order the four signs. So Jill goes on and tries to repeat the four signs and Aslan corrects her a few times. Um, and then when they're feeling good about it, she got the courage to ask how to get to Narnia. And it Aslan says, on my breath, I will blow you into the west of the world as I blew Eustace earlier. Um, and so uh, there's some imagery here again, which is Genesis breathing life into dust. This is very significant imagery in Christian thought, but I'm not going to make this an hour long episode for you guys. So Aslan's getting ready to blow uh, Jill with the breath through the air Um but he gives this last command, remember, remember the signs, say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake up in the middle of the night, whatever strange things happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. I give you a warning here on the mountain. I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here in the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. But as you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. Take great care that it does not confuse you. That's why it's so important to know them by heart and pay attention to them, but not to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs because nothing else matters. The voice had been growing softer and softer and Jill looked behind her and it turned out she was already floating away this entire time. Now, again, this, this is the imagery I used in my sermon on Sunday. Uh, remember the signs. And basically um, I, I was just talking about the theme of how often Israel throughout scripture and then the disciples later, and then us now in 2021, we forget all the things God has done. And there are moments in our lives where we have such clarity you know, on a weekly basis, maybe you feel really, really clear about your calling or your love of God or your love of neighbor at church. And then within an hour after church, you get cut off in traffic and you're no longer feeling that love your neighbor feeling anymore. Um, or maybe you make it a few days or maybe you make it a few good months or a few good years. But some at some point, we start to lose sight 
of the things that were so clear when we were really close with God. I'm not saying things become unclear when you're not close with God, but certainly there are circumstances in our lives that, that weigh on us to the point where it's no longer as easy or as clear what God wants or what God is doing or where God's calling us. And I thought the imagery here, one, Aslan gives the signs and says, here the signs are clear because here on my mountain, the air is thin and clear and easy to breathe. But down in Narnia, the air will thicken and that will confuse the signs. They're going to look way different in Narnia than they do up here. I think that alone is good imagery because that's what happens. We, we hear simple ideas about what it means to follow God, and then we get into the real world, and the air has thickened. You run into financial problems, the air has thickened. You run into relational problems, the air has thickened. The principles of loving your neighbor and honoring your father and mother and fill in the blank are no longer so simple and easy to do when the air is thick around you. And that is powerful imagery. And that is why Aslan encourages Jill to remember the signs and to remind herself of the signs that he's told her, the four signs in particular, every morning and night. Repeat them to yourself. First, when you wake up, say all four signs in order. And then right before you go to bed, all four signs in order. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, you better just say them again, just in case. Because if you forget the signs that I've told you, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. Now, as you can imagine, because this is an adventure story, Jill forgets the signs uh, immediately after this episode. The first scene is her getting to Eustace and they see an old man getting on a ship. Now, the first sign is that Eustace will see an old friend and... Eustace needs to go talk to that friend immediately. And that will save, basically make their entire journey so easy. And when Eustace and Jill are there, they're looking in the crowd and they're looking for someone. They can't see anyone. They see this old guy get on a boat and leave. And then it turns out that this old guy was Caspian, a character from an earlier book that was Eustace's old friend. Because in Narnia, the timelines are different. Time goes so much faster. The sign was different than they had thought. And so they'd already missed the first sign. They were supposed to go up and talk to Caspian and get on his ship, and it was going to just expedite their journey so much. But they already missed it because the sign looked different where the air was thicker. It wasn't that Aslan's trying to trick the children. It's that the, the situations that we encounter in life are so much different than we could ever imagine. And that's where it takes wisdom to learn how to apply the principles that we teach ourselves and remind ourselves of in scripture, in our faith, in tradition. It's not just a plug and play of, oh, memorize the good answers because that's exactly what you do. It's like, no, we remind ourselves of what we believe so that when we get to these confusing situations that we have an ability to draw upon something that we know so well that perhaps will actually make it through it. Now, this sets up the entire adventure that's about to unfold in the silver chair, but um, the imagery of remembering the signs, I think, is really, really significant. And whether that to you is reading your Bible 
you know, that's an easy kind of parallel of read your Bible and memorize your Bible in the morning and at night, in the middle of the night when you use the bathroom. Okay, that that's totally on the table. Um, but that'd be a lot of Bible to read um, in each of those settings. But how about just your prayer life? Or how about the discipline of solitude or silence? Like, what are the ways that you remind yourself of what God has already done in your life and what God's calling you to do? And myself too, like the ways that I have found in, in the recent years and recent months in particular in the midst of COVID are silence and solitude. Those are the things that help me really just let the air clear around me so that I can get a hold and handle on where I think God's leading me next. But when we're just going through the motions and the monotony of life where all the noise is distracting us, we lose sight of where God's actually leading because we get confused. It's not like we're actively choosing not to listen. It's that all of the other things around us have an innate ability to pull us from recognizing those things or in the language of this chapter of recognizing the signs. And a lot of times I've heard like the will of God be used, you know, like offensive or uh, not offensive, like I'm offended, but like an offense style way, or it's been weaponized. Like, well, you weren't living in the will of God. Well, we're, we're not really sure half the time what God's will for each of our lives are. And I think often, uh, especially in the modern day, we allow that language to paralyze us. Like, oh, is this God's will? And and we get so bogged down. Like when I was trying to choose a college, like which college is God's will for me? And, you know, which person that I'm going to date? Is this God's will that I'm going to go on a blind date with someone? And, you know, or is this God's will that I go to a keto diet instead of a vegan diet? And and sometimes I think those kinds of questions are good to explore, but sometimes I think we use them as an excuse to be paralyzed in what we're doing. And I think faith is about stepping forward and trusting that God's going to lead us regardless of where we end up. However, if we remember the signs, if we seek his voice and seek his face, imagery that's used all throughout scripture. If my people will hear my voice and seek my face, then I think God will lead us. And so again, children's book using beautiful imagery to set up um, some of the coarest ideas, most core, core principles. You know what I'm saying? Lewis uses some beautiful imagery to help us understand from another angle why it's so important for us to constantly remind ourselves of the faith that we have. And I think that whatever ways you can do that for yourself, whether that be through music or through scripture or through reading books or listening to podcasts or sitting with friends or sitting in silence, then that's what you need to do. And I think I'll just leave it there. So that's the silver chair. I will most likely do some more chapters of this moving forward, but you know my encouragement is for you all to go buy the Chronicles of Narnia or use Libby, use the audiobooks. That's the library. It's completely free. Uh, set up a Libby account. You can listen to audiobooks and whatnot. 
Narnia is so short, but it's so significant. Some of the most significant writing, not just by Lewis, but by anyone, I think, um, especially in, in the process of growing in my own faith journey. And you'll hear more about that on future episodes, why these images are so significant. But with all that being said, I am sweating like I just worked out and I definitely haven't. So I am going to go. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope that you will read this book at some point in your life. But at the very least today, think about that stream. Where are you seeking fulfillment? What are the things you're hoping will satisfy you today when in fact we should be trusting God with that uh, task? And the next thing to think about is what are the signs? What are the things you have to remind yourself of? What are the things causing you anxiety and stress today that in fact, if you think a little harder and remind yourself, you'll remember that God's already seen you through so much and he's going to see you through this too. And that's not a way of being toxically positive. It's a way of having immense hope, which is a core principle of the gospel. So go in peace wherever you are and tune in next week for another episode. Thanks, guys.